everybody and welcome to What the Spark. My name is Rachel and I'm the Executive Director of Spark. I'm also joined here by Alex. Hi everyone, I'm Alex. I'm the Head Curator here at Spark. Awesome, and we're also joined here by Sophia, who is Spark's Faculty Advisor and also a Professor in the Art and Design Department at Northeastern. She's also a very talented artist herself with her own studio in Somerville, and she is represented by Gallery Naga. Today, we're going to talk to her about her most recent project in Boston City Hall. Sophia, can you say hi, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, I'm Sophia. I'm from South Africa originally. I grew up in Johannesburg, and I um, have been in Boston for quite some time. Yes, and that's it. That's me. <laughs> Um, so moving on uh, a little bit into getting into your career, um, how did you know that you wanted to be an artist? What was the, the progression like that for? Do you have any stories about that? My parents, my father was an artist, my brother was an artist, and my mother helped my father. Um, they were a team and they created this art foundation in our home. Um, I was encouraged to go into arts from a very early age and I was in and out of the art classes. Um, always. Um, I didn't want to do art as a career because everybody else was doing it and I wanted to find something different. So I, um, I, I went into social work thinking that I wanted to work with people first and I enjoyed so sociology very much and I enjoyed African literature which was one of my electives very much um, but I didn't really fit into the uh, social work area. And um, so I thought I would go into dance and music and acting. And so I tried that for a year and um, that didn't work out either. I did stage management and prop making, um, but I just couldn't find myself and didn't feel completely comfortable in that area. So I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. So my parents kept pushing me towards the art. So I finally gave in and um, did it and felt at home immediately. So I went to um, a correspondence university, which is basically working at home. Um, I didn't like the idea of going to school and coming home and doing homework, you know. Um, I liked uh, my time to be less st um, structured in a particular way, although my studio work was always structured. But um, 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 I guess that's how I fell into it, you know, by just trying a couple of different things, feeling not at home, and then finally um, falling into the arts. Does that answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. I feel like most of the time people are saying, like, everyone told me not to go into the arts. Right. They did it anyway. Like, parents <laughs> are definitely not artists, and they were like, are you sure you want to like... <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to hear it the other way around. Yeah, really. um, yeah, fortunate like that, I suppose, you know. Um, and I suppose having parents that had managed to survive somehow, who knows yeah. how, but they, and, you know, it was a non-profit, but they made it work somehow. And so, and I think they, they saw in an apartheid regime, they saw how important art was um, and how that could be a connecting voice across barriers, you know, and so um, as I guess they felt like that was a very worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Awesome, if, yeah. if we had time and we could do a whole other podcast just about that, like I would love to know more. Um, 
So how did you how did you go about finding your particular style when you when you did start um, going into into visual arts and outside of the other fields? How did you come about feeling out um, what what it was that you wanted to make and what would make you distinctive? Um, so uh, that's you know that's tricky, and I think that's something that evolves over time. So um, I think we all are inherently born with a style or a mark that's ours. I think the marks that we make if we're drawing or doodling are essentially um, uh, the essence of who we are, you know, and if we can build a relationship with that and develop that, then it becomes a style, um, if that makes sense. So I was always a very gestural, um, spontaneous, energetic, messy kind of worker. And I felt very awkward about that because everybody around me had a much more refined kind of mark making, you know, when I was at school um, or even at university, you know, there, it was a different kind of methodology. So I felt, I felt outside, you know, and I, so I thought I was wrong, you know, and so I had a lot of self-critique going on. But my father, lucky for me, um, being an artist himself and a very gestural worker, um, saw a lot of um, strength in that mess. And he would always say, there's no such thing as a mess. Mess is personal, you know. It's, uh, um, so um, he kind of... Uh, try to open my eyes to seeing things in different ways. And he tried to help me develop a relationship with my crazy Mark, you know? And um, so I think just through working and working constantly. So I had a very disciplined um, uh, way of working, you know, I'd work like eight hours every day. I'd wake up at a particular time. I'd be in the studio by a particular time and I wouldn't, leave until a particular time and then after that I was going out and um, you know to clubs and things and I was taking my sketchbook with me and I was drawing there so I was I was living and breathing art constantly and I think just through working and seeing being very critical but not in a negative way necessarily but you know figuring out what it is that your my interests were um, I, my style started to develop although it was already there, but it became more substantial. Um, and then, um, it, you know, it kind of changed over time um, where, you know, now I think my work is very, is not um, as gestural at all. It's a very different kind of methodology and style that I have from then, but I can see the evolution of it completely. It's always connected. Um, um, so, and I think, you know, I was working initially in black and white with charcoal. I was a very, you know, I was poor and I was a student and I would work what, with whatever I could find. So I was working with billboard posters and uh, magazines and house paint and charcoal and just whatever, I corrugated cardboard and I kind of patch it together and make these enormous drawings out of that. And then... As color came in, suddenly um, things started to shift um, quite dramatically. So initially I was working with figure, drawing, you know, um, from the clubs, I was drawing um, musicians and so on. And then, um, and people dancing in the smoky bar situation. And then um, as color moved in, the figure disappeared. 
and it started to kind of become more abstract. And, um, and that's when the big, big battle started was like, well, what do I want? You know, is it, so I remember thinking to myself that content for me was, I wanted to be able to shift my content over time, but I wanted my mark to be specific to me. So I really tried to develop mark making and make that um, connected to my essence in some way. Um, but yeah, it was an evolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely see that in a lot of the work that like Alex and I have been looking at in preparation for this. And you know, it's a great segue into talking about your um, most recent project. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit more about that project? and how like your style has kind of played into that now? So the recent project um, um, was for City, Boston City Hall. Um, and um, I was invited to create a site-specific painting on one of their walls on the eighth floor outside the Arts and Culture um, office. Um, so, um, that is completely connected to the work that I've been working on for the last 10 years. Um, so what I mean by that is it's uh, I work with flat shape um, of color and it's juxtaposed with um, black mark making and then white space. Um, so the, the shapes of the work, um, the colored shapes come specifically from a body from a human body and then the mark making is a reaction to those colored shapes. So you know what I'm wondering and now that I've like heard a little bit more about it is how do you go about making something so big like I've seen a few pictures of it and it's like this huge mural do you plan like the mark making first do you do the colors does it like all come together when you paint it there do you plan it all in advance like what's your process for making that something like this? No, I plan it in, a, in advance because it's a commission. Mm -hmm. So they want to know what they're getting. Um, they don't, you know, um, it's, I don't think I've ever been told that I can't do what I am doing, mm -hmm. that people want to see it. And it, yeah. you know, it has to go through all the hands within, well, in this situation, it had to go through all the hands, um, the people who were involved with the project at, up until the mayor's office. And everybody has to be on board, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, that was the first um, step. And then um, what I did this time is I wasn't able to get into my studio, so I was working at home. So I, I worked with it, um, an image that I created on my computer. So I made a, a composite, a collage basically in Photoshop with my archive of information that I have. So I have an archive that I've been building up for um, the last 10 years of shapes um, from the body and then mark making. Um, so I begin with the body, the colored shapes, and then I re react with the mark making, as I said earlier. Um, in terms of making it bigger on the wall, yeah, so I have a pre-plan and then I sketch out um, the image so that, you know, I had a, a short amount of time. I think we had two weeks to create it. So I, there's no time to really think. So I like to think beforehand and that takes a couple of months to pull that together. And then um, um, when I, I get to the space or I got to the space, I sketched it out whilst I was alone. And then um, I invited two of my wonderful students or ex-students to work with me. 
So Alexander Landrock has worked with me on many projects and he was a student of mine many years ago. But um, he, yeah, he's great to work with. And then I had a new um, assistant, um, Anna Eugene, who um, was brilliant to work with as well. And she was actually involved right from the get-go. Alexander could only make it in the last week. So, and I love working with people, you know, it's, um, um, so they, uh, I tell them what to do and then, um, you know, and then they, they do what they're told, which is very nice. And <laughs> we, we chat and tell stories and we meet people who, well, we met people who were walking by. I mean, it was quite an interesting project because um, I think this began, I can't remember, you know, time has been such a strange beast lately. I don't know what month or day it is, you know. At times it's, it contracts and other times it expands. But um, I had been um, kind of on lockdown as we all had been for so long and I hadn't been into a public space. And so when I got the project, I was, I immediately said yes, but I didn't think about what was actually going on and where I would be, that I'd be in a closed building. And so when I got there, it was a bit odd, you know, because that was my first time in a public space, needing to use a public loo, you know, public <laughs> restroom, and um, and then with people, you know, some people were working in the building. So that was, um, yeah, it was a little unnerving in initially. And then Anna was so good at kind of completely relaxing me. Um, her mother is a nurse. And um, yeah, she, Anna had this very relaxed feel about her, and um, we, yeah, she just, we just kind of moved into the situation, and that, that was that. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yes, definitely. Yes, and I definitely relate to the uh, to the going back out in public for, for the first time oh, yes. in a while after like quarantining. <laughs> I remember like going to the coffee shop for the first time and being like, "This is crazy. This feels illegal." <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but so. Continuing off of that, um, Rachel and I have been talking about this a little bit, a little bit before, and we were curious, um, since so much of your art involves uh, being placed in public space, how does, how does having something in a public space like at Boston City Hall or at uh, like one of your university pieces, how does that compare versus when you're showing your work in a gallery? So I think um, a public work, you get a much broader range of people seeing the work um, and so you know not everybody's going to go to a gallery not everybody feels comfortable going to a gallery um, and not everybody's able to go to a gallery <laughs> but when you have a piece in a public setting the work is there and so many people will walk past it or stop to to look at it, but it's, it's in a space where people are potentially commuting or, um, you know, so it's, a, it's a civilian space. Um, so um, I think also, so that's the one thing, it, it reaches a much broader, broader audience. Um, and people who may not necessarily be interested in art or think that they're interested will see it, you know. And um, I think, It'll, it affects people whether they're interested or not because you, I feel you can't not see it um, really, you know. I mean, I think, I mean, I've had conversations with people I would never have imagined 
chatting to just because I may not have been there with my work in that particular situation. So I'm coming in, I'm having conversations with um, new people. Is that clear? Uh, you know, unexpected chance conversations, which I love. And so that happened a lot at um, Boston City Hall because we were, um, in, well, it happens all the time. At uh, Ryder Hall, it happened. At Tufts, it happens. It always happens that you, um, people stop and ask, well, what are you doing? And how much time does it take? And how can you put so much time into making art? It seems baffling to some people. But then, it, you know, to me, it's baffling that people could be at their desk from nine to five, five days a week, you know, doing something that they are not passionate about and potentially hate. Um, so, you know, so there's this interesting kind of way of seeing the world from two different perspectives and then having a dialogue over it, you know, which one is more important? Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, um, so with the Boston City Hall, um, a lot of people were walking past and they kept asking, what is it? What is it? What is it? And I just thought, I'm not going to answer that anymore. I'm going to throw the question out to everybody and ask, well, what do you see? What do you think it is? So I started documenting the people that walked by, taking a photo of them in front of the work and then asked them the question and then um, kept their answer and then I posted it. And so now I have a, um, an extended um, exhibition, which is part of that show on the government website. Um, so I think that's quite interesting because everybody sees something, but not everybody trusts that what they're seeing is correct. And is there a correctness? My work is not about that. I'm not trying to stipulate that this is what it is. Uh, it's a conversation. I'm interested to hear what other people see. I wish we could like sit here and talk about this all day, but I think that like quickly before we wrap up, I do want to ask you if you have advice for young people looking to enter the art field. I know you talked a little bit about like how there's these two different worlds where you could sit at a desk all day and like do your nine to five or you could go out and do what you're doing. Like, how do you make it, I guess. I know it's a tough field, especially with everything going on right now in COVID. Like, how do you go about making a living doing art, like in general? Yeah. So I teach, right? So that's, um, and, and that's what I've always done. You know, once I made that commitment to art, um, I moved into, I did a teacher's training, um, very soon after that. And, um, went into teaching, kind of fell into teaching at a very early age. Um, so that has allowed me to experiment and explore and not make commercial art. Um, but um, I, yeah, I think that, I think it's important to, to find a, a tribe in a sense, develop a group of people around you um, and they're not necessarily all in the arts, just people that you respect and they respect you. I think that's important if you can do that. Um, um, and I think you have to take chances in life. I think you have to risk, take risks. And I think sometimes people just move into things without thinking necessarily, you know, that because this is what so-and-so has told me to do, this must be the way it should be. I mean, I suppose I did that because my parents told me. <laughs> but, 
So, um, but I think, um, I think you need to, I think it's important to try to find out what your um, passion is and to um, take risks and chances and believe in life, to develop a network of people around you um, and to work very hard, to be very disciplined, um, look for opportunity um, and, and, um, and yeah, look outside the box, think outside the box. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's very helpful, but I do think it's important to follow your bliss in a certain way if you can. And I just want to say one thing. Though I had a student once who was an engineer, um, and she it it was she wasn't well suited for um, what she was focusing on, but her parents had insisted that that's what she do. She took a art class as an elective, and um, she loved it so much that she, and with this particular uh, class, she did a project where she um, wanted to work on a wall. She wanted to do a mural on the wall and she did it and it just kind of opened her up. And um, she, and now this is what she does. She moved out of engineering and she travels and makes murals all over the country. And she, she didn't know, she said that she could be happy and she is. So, you know, things worked out. It doesn't always work out, I suppose, but I think you have to take a risk. Yeah, that's amazing. I know, like, as someone that, like, I'm a photography major, so, like, I'm in that weird space where, like, I'm graduating this year, and, like, I need to start thinking about how can I do photography and make a living at the same time? And it's always amazing to hear stories about people that have found a way to make it work and, like, the thing I always tell people like in Spark when we're talking about like doing art, even if it's not your major is like when you're doing something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work, which is like why I love my major so much. Like when I'm doing my homework, I'm doing something that I would have done in my free time anyway. Like I love to take pictures so I'm happy to do it. And obviously it gets a little stressful when you're like have an assignment due, but at the same time, like finding that thing that you're passionate about, like makes it feel less like work. And I think like artists are really lucky in that a lot of them are doing something for their job that they don't ever want to take a vacation from. So exactly. And then, I mean, the other thing is though, that, you know, you're not always good. You have to, you'll be making certain sacrifices. And I think no matter what you choose, you'll be making sacrifices. So I think you need to choose your demons, you know, mm -hmm. what are you able to live with and what aren't you, you know? Um, but if I know you, Rachel, you are, you like the busiest bee I ever knew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yes. So much into everything. Um, but I, you know, so I know some artists also who, you know, some artists dedicate their life to art and that's all they do, but then they have to make other sacrifices. So they're living very simply, you know? And so I think that's also important to, to know that um, um, you may not have all the money but in the world, but if you can get by, that's enough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like a prioritization thing and what exactly. like makes your life feel like fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with feeling like you need a little more than living simply, but also you have to balance that with like how badly do you want to be an artist and how badly do you want to live in like a really nice house and have like all these luxuries. And I mean, personally for me, like it's a little of both, like, like I'd like to have something in the middle. And I think that's something we all have to kind of figure out 
for yeah. ourselves. This is uh, this is just heightening my my internal crisis <laughs> about being a businessman. You have so much time, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm business and philosophy. Philosophy is my fun one. Business is, is kind of there. I'm kind of in too deep. <laughs> That's okay. I think it's very good to have. Um, it's a very sensible background to have. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that I mean. Not everybody has to be an artist, but everybody can be creative. And I think True. that's what's most important, really. That's yeah. what's most important. And I think if you are creative as a business person, um, as whatever you are, you will be happy because it's about um, problem solving. It's about thinking about things differently. Um, it's about being really engaged in what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. So uh, it doesn't matter what you do. Find that creative part. And I think that's what, what will make you more successful. That's honestly the best part about Spark is we have people from every major, every interest. Exactly. But we're all coming together because we love to be creative and do art. Like tonight we have our um, team bonding for the week and we're doing a virtual craft exciting. night. And yeah. like do our own crafts together and kind of share what stuff. we're working on. I think yeah, Alex is going nice. to do some block prints. Yep, block printing some stuff tonight. <laughs> so um, is, that, is that open to anybody on campus or is that only for the Spark members? This one is an internal team bonding, but we are doing a paint night upcoming. I think that will probably have happened before this podcast gets released, but we do a lot of interactive workshop type of events to kind of yeah. get people like making art but what's awesome about spark is like you don't have to know how to make art to be in spark to participate in spark events it's just about learning more about it and how like art can serve you no matter what you're doing like you don't have to be like an a traditional artist to be creative and be in spark and learn more about art and art history and all that so yeah i mean I'm a little biased. I think we're an awesome club, but I, I'd say so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, three out of three consensus. Yeah, what I mean, you ask for. Um, yeah. Alex, you want to close us out with our all right, sure exit question. So, um, at all of our at all of our Spark meetings, we like to have uh, intro and exit questions that are <laughs> pretty much completely random, but just to get people talking. Um, so we came up with an an outro question for this podcast which is what's your go-to artist attire? What do you wear when you're creating all of these things? Oh, when, I, when I'm in the studio? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I just, um, you know, I used to have a suit. <laughs> it was my um, jeans that were absolutely covered in thick acrylic plastic paint. And then a top, that was also it was like a um, a black kind of um, tank top that was quite loose that was also thickly covered in acrylic paint um, and my shoes that were also covered in thick acrylic paint but I had to throw that away because I started to feel like I was absorbing all this plastic <laughs> into my body you know and the that suit could literally stand up on its own it was so thick oh wow now, you know, my methodology of working has changed so much that, it, you know, I'm not um, as messy as I used to be. The mess seems to stay mainly on my hands and on my thighs. 
So um, I just wear jeans and um, and a usually a tank top. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. When you first said suit. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go first, Alex. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say when you first said suit, I was like, I know this isn't what she's talking about, but I was like, <laughs> me too, like a tuxedo, literal suit covered in paint. <laughs> and that that would be a vibe. Oh yeah, that would be like its own like part of the project is just like oh, yeah. people seeing you painting in a suit. <laughs> I think I should take that on actually. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was in art club and we would like say after school and like I can't paint, but like art club is basically just like painting stuff like for the school. Like we were just like unpaid labor. Um so I would like help paint like murals on the walls with everyone. And I would never remember it was art club and I would come in and like my favorite jeans mm. and go home and like, every like pair of pants I owned in high school was like covered in paint. Just like uh, yeah. <laughs> the last uh, last couple of times I've been block printing, I came to the oh, no. realization of I was just like, like, I mean, I'm, I'm very careful, but I just came to the realization. <laughs> I was like, so this is why people wear smocks. I get it. And I was like, this is a really, really dumb realization to be having. But I was like, oh yeah, that would make sense. I'm like always wearing like my regular clothes that I normally oh, wear no. that I absolutely don't want paint on. Um, although actually the other day I did finally come to my senses and just put on put on an old sweater that was already black. That's so smart. I wouldn't get black ink on it, it didn't matter too much. Start like wrapping yourself in like garbage bags and like Yeah, saran wrap. Oh yeah. My father um, was, as I said earlier, was a, like a very gestural painter. So he would be throwing paint, literally. Magnets. <laughs> he was always covered. And so what he started to do was to put plastic bags around his shoes, like shopping bags, and then just uh, be walking with him. That's smart. You know? Gosh, I should start doing that. Like all of my, I have white shoes and like I shouldn't own anything white. And they're like, sorry, I'm just picturing right. you like, for photography, like, you'd be like, damn, gotta, gotta wrap up my shoes so I can go take some pictures. Just in case. I have to spill like... some film on oh, that. Oh, God. <laughs> Actually, though, when I used to do um, film photography, it's, like, messy. Like, the chemicals smell so oh, bad, yeah. and the smell will, like, stick to you for, like, days. That's true. I mean, like, obviously, I would, like, shower, so it wouldn't after that. But, like, I used to have photography in the morning, like, when I was in high school and we did film. And so I would have it first period and all day, I would just smell like developer, like, cause we would develop and enlarge like all like in-house. So it was That's pretty really messy. And it could like stay in your clothes if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the amazing process. It's wonderful. It's so expensive, but it is yeah. worth it. If you have the facilities, which I was very lucky. Like I was primarily trained in like film photography first, which is, kind of rare now I mean can't really find an enlarger like yeah. just laying around no yeah things have changed so dramatically hey yeah all right so to close this out Sophia is there anything you want to promote um anywhere we can find more of your work or things you have on the horizon that you want to share before we close out well I am working on another project um, that will be installed. It's another site-specific piece um, that's going up in December. So I've been working on it for about six months now. Um, but I'm not allowed to say where. Ah. So, um, <laughs> but it's for a major tech company in um, Cambridge in the um, refurbished um, offices that they're moving into. 
Um, but um, so that's quite exciting. I'm looking forward to getting that on the go. But otherwise, uh, you know, one of the pieces I'm really excited by is the piece at Tufts University. It's a 6,000 square foot um, site specific piece that um, is in a stairwell. It's like a floating stairwell. Oh. And um, it's, um, yeah, that's one of my, um, one of my favorite pieces, I would have to say. So um, if you are, every, once everything is done, you know, the pandemic <laughs> is over, then you can go and have a look there. But yeah, to, I, I like that piece because it's so big. It's the biggest yeah. piece I've done. I also personally like the one that's in Ryder Hall because I see it all the time. Um, and I give like tours of Ryder for prospective students. I'm always like, look, like, look at this mural. Like, I know who made that. It's so cool. Oh, but, nice. <laughs> no problem. I making that so much because I worked, I invited my students into it. And it was really cool to work with them. So some had never painted before. But, you know, it's always the conversation that happens when you're making a painting together is always so interesting you know yeah collaborative work is like a whole different breed it's so interesting yeah. <laughs> you yeah. do a whole nother podcast just to like what it's like to make one thing with like more than one person that's a good idea <laughs> yeah alex write that down <laughs> yeah, I, I have paper right here so. <laughs> awesome um so if you're interested in hearing more podcasts, you can check them out wherever you listen to this one. Um, yet to be determined where that will be. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at SparkNEU. Um, keep an eye out. We have some fun events and exhibitions coming up. And as always, feel free to reach out to me, um, Alex, anyone on the team if you have questions or just want to join us next semester. Awesome. Thank you, listening. Sophia. Thank um, you, Rachel. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Awesome.